My sophomore year of college, uh, when I joined the leadership team of my Wesley Foundation, uh, we were each assigned a mentor, uh, an older, more seasoned leader from outside of the college community. My friend Chris and I were assigned this guy named Brad, and at our first meeting, Brad asked us what we wanted to focus on because he was going to walk with us through a book of the Bible. Now, being someone who was relatively uh, new at uh, and discovering faith for the first time on my own, I picked the book of Revelation because, you know, I wanted to go with something super easy. Uh, well, Brad had a great response um, in uh, that I don't remember exactly how he put it, but he basically said, uh, why don't we start with something that's a little bit easier to digest and then come back to Revelation, which we never did. <laughs> Revelation is one of those books that we don't hear a lot about. Uh, we don't talk about it as much. And um, partly because of the same reason that my mentor Brad didn't want to go there. Revelation is this almost fantastical tale told by John the Revelator, who is, by the way, likely not the same as John who wrote the Gospel. Uh, and John is telling of this visionary journey into eternity, of going to heaven and sitting before the throne of God and seeing the Lamb of God. And it's this fascinating journey. If you ever have read through the book of Revelation, which it's also can be very, well, there's some, there's some hard parts to it, but there's also just some really incredible imagery in this book. Um, and so today what I want to do, as I've chosen this as one of our, as our scripture text, I want to kind of pull back the curtain a bit on this and uh, maybe take a glimpse at what is behind the curtain of this book of Revelation of, of eternity, if you will. Uh, now, like I said, there's lots of imagery in this passage is not lacking in any of it. Uh, gleaming white robes, the throne of God, the Lamb of God, elders, and four living creatures, which every time I read that I think, okay, these are four living creatures, so first of all, we're in eternity, so I don't know exactly what people are looking like, but what does it mean for living creatures, and what do these creatures look like if they're clearly not people, uh, you know, my head can go all kinds of places, and this is part of the problem of Revelation is, is you can take that one little bit and all of a sudden you're all the way down this rabbit hole of, because Google Revelation and hit image, and you're going to get lots of imagery of what people have imagined, because we've been imagining this probably since it was written, uh, but I digress. Uh, with all of that mentioned, thinking about all of that imagery, I want to actually take a, uh, a bit of advice from uh, my mentor, Brad, and kind of look past some of those symbols for a moment, because it's really easy to get distracted by those, and I want to focus on uh, who is revealed when we pull back the curtain. What is this text telling us? Because this text is telling us about who is in eternity. Um, which is always a question for almost all of us, especially asking the question, am I going to be in, in eternity? Or if not myself, is so-and-so going to be in eternity? And so tonight I want to ask that question, who is going to be in 
eternity when we pull back that curtain and we see for the first time the glory of God and the great choirs of angels and all of the things that they mentioned in there that uh, John is seeing. Well, the text says, A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Who is behind the curtain in eternity? Well, to put it simply, everyone. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people is represented in eternity. All are present. Everyone is there. Not one is left out. Now all of these people that are gathered, this great multitude, this countless multitude that no one could count except for maybe God, I'm going to refer to those tonight as the saints because after all it is All Saints Sunday and we are remembering all of the saints that have gone before us, all of the saints that are present with us now, and all of the saints that will come after us. Uh, now that word saint, um, particularly if you come from a, a Catholic background, might have a very particular meaning. It might even have a kind of heavy meaning to it. Um, maybe you think of the saints of the church, the great you know, women and men of the church who have gone before us and been through a formal process called canonization and have been officially named a saint of the church. And there are some big names. I mean, not the least of which uh, the very first disciples, the gospel writers, St. Paul, St. Teresa of Avila, and, well, I thought about getting you the whole list and printing it out and showing it to you, because um, it's on Wikipedia, but it's like, whoosh. It probably would have been several pages with all of the many saints that have come, around, come uh, and been canonized officially by the Catholic Church. Um, this one may have included some of the Orthodox as well, because they're not necessarily the same saints. Uh, but this whole thing would have been like whoosh, long. And um, so instead, uh, I'm just going to leave it at, you should go check it out, because it's really fascinating stuff. Um, but what makes these individuals exceptional is that these are individuals who made some kind of incredible impact on the church and on God's people and the broader world. These are people who lived out their faith and have been recognized in their passing. Um, but I want to be clear about something because we often know the great stories of these saints um, you know, and, and we might be tempted to place them up on a pedestal. I know that's where you guys place me too, um, but uh, I'm going to ask you for tonight especially to take me and the saints off the pedestal and to remember them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really don't think of myself as <laughs> really not. Wait till, you keep, wait till you keep hearing the rest of the sermon. Um, but the truth is the saints were uh, just as flawed as you and I. These great heroes of the faith were very much just as flawed as you and I. Uh, take, for example, St. Peter, who is traditionally described as the first pope and um, Jesus' great disciple, the one who uh, holds the, king, the keys to the kingdom, 
well, he denied Jesus three times right before the crucifixion. So Jesus wasn't even dead yet, and uh, he much less have, having risen, and Peter was already showing his flawedness. Uh, St. Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin, was uh, a famously nasty Christian who, confronted, when confronted with criticism, was reliably uncharitable. Uh, in fact, it was in the early 5th century, uh, this future saint wrote a snide public letter to a prominent theologian named Rufinius, addressing him as my most simple-minded friend and commenting that he walked like a tortoise. A saint of the church, folks. Uh, saint Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, may be the only saint with a notarized uh, police record for nighttime brawling with the intent to inflict serious harm. Uh, there was the Trappist monk uh, Thomas Merton, one of the great spiritual masters of the 20th century, who could be vain, impatient, and short-tempered. And then, <laughs> this is the best part, because, uh, you know, just talk about our, um, you know, we, we like to think that we all get better as life goes on. Well, um, just to show you that we all can be completely flawed at any point in our life. Um, later in life, he broke his monastic vows by sleeping with a young nurse he met during a hospital stay, sneaking off the monastery grounds to be with her. And then there was Mother Teresa, who most of you, I assume, would have heard of her. She's probably one of the most recent, most famous ones on my list here, who could be... Um, uh, the, the place I was getting all of this referred to as uh, could be occasionally tart with any of her sisters who she suspected of faking illness to get out of work. Um, in fact, she wrote to one convent, you live with the name of the poor, but you enjoy a lazy life. So these are the saints of the church who, my point of this is not to, uh, to, to put them down, but to kind of put some context on the people who are the great heroes of the faith, um, all of them were completely flawed. All of them had uh, their own failures, their own sin, their own egos. We all get in the way of ourselves and get in the way of God's work from time to time. And it doesn't make it all right, but it does make it a, real, a reality because this is who we are. The only one who has been perfect was Jesus. And while we strive to be like Jesus, I am very uh, open that I am not. Uh, I wish I could be, but I am so much not. But the thing about these saints, which kind of to redeem them a little bit here, after I just kind of put them down a little bit, was to remember that what made them saints is that they continue to persevere in life. Yes, they may not have been the greatest people all the time, but they persevered after what God was calling them to do, after the work of God. They were people who were imperfect, striving to seek sanctification, not by the church, which is what we typically think of when we think of making a saint is sanctification, but sanctification by God. In fact, that's kind of really close to the definition that we as Methodists use when we talk about saints. Uh, we call people saints because they exemplify the Christian life. 
Not because they're perfect at it, but because they exemplify it. Because their character speaks to it. Because the lives they have lived um, preach it. Sometimes without even uh, having uh, the, to say the words. And so in this sense, every Christian can be considered a saint. All of us are the saints of the church. That's why I say we are praying, uh, we are remembering the, the saints that have gone before us, the saints with us now, and praying for the saints that are yet to come. Because the saints are all of the Christians, the body of Christ, past, present, and future. Not perfect, uh, or not considered saints because we are perfect, but because we are perfectly saved by grace. Hoping that we remember, uh, we are remembered not for our sins, but for the times we stood for God's love and justice. What makes us saints is not being perfect. Uh, what makes the saints the saints is not because they lived sinless lives, but because they pursued after God's love and justice in the world. So we come back to that question of what happens when we pull back the curtain. Well, we find the saints, and the first thing we find is a group of imperfect people. But second, we're going to find a group of people that has some famous faces in it. Now, arguably, we might not be able to recognize them, because I don't know that I would know St. Peter from St. Paul, but let's say hypothetically we could know the difference. Um, St. Peter and St. Paul are going to be famous faces. But if we are thinking about the way the text describes it as a countless number of people, that means most of the people that are gathered there before the glory of God, in the throne room of God, are going to be saints who none of us know. Saints who most people won't know. Saints that maybe are the folks in your life who only you know their saints, the folks that have impacted your life, the folks that have helped you to find Christ. All of us have those saints in our lives. All of us, for some reason, have had someone that has brought us to church, encouraged us to go to church, planted the idea that we should go to a church at some point in our lives, or we wouldn't be sitting here right now. Those are the people that are the saints in our lives. Around this time of year, I like to especially remember the saints that are with us now as well, because we always remember the saints that have gone before, and that's an important part of this day. But it's also important to remember the saints that are at work today. Um, another thing I was reading had a pastor who said, uh, the saints are those in our lives who inspire us to live holiness and righteousness. And for the most part, will go unknown beyond maybe you or I. All of the saints gathered before the glory of God, most of them unknown to most, known by God, and known by some for the great works that they have done. Not that we are saved by our works, but that our faith is evidence by our works. And so I want to take a tradition that um, my church 
the last church I served had, which, and, and put a little twist on it. And that was every year we would remember someone as part of the sermon, we would share how their life impacted the life of our congregation, um, why they were a member, uh, something to that effect. And I want to take a twist on that and say, uh, I want to start each year and say, uh, share a story of the modern day saints maybe in our midst, maybe elsewhere. Um, and today I want to talk about uh, some folks that uh, maybe you've never heard of. Uh, these are folks uh, at Open Table Nashville. Open Table Nashville was founded in uh, 2010, and it's an interfaith, homeless, outreach nonprofit that disrupts cycles of poverty, journeys with the marginalized, and provides education about issues of homelessness. Uh, they, their journey began when OTN's founders were a ragtag team of homeless outreach workers, ministers, and volunteers who were introduced to something called Tent City in Nashville, which at the time was Nashville's largest homeless encampment and was located on the banks of the Cumberland River. Over time, they became friends with the residents. They advocated with them for their rights, received hospitality from them, officiated at their weddings and funerals, and realized that a majority of the residents couldn't stay at traditional shelters because they were couples or pet owners or worked non-traditional hours or were struggling with severe mental health issues. They helped dozens of tent city residents move into permanent housing. But as these residents left their tents, others moved in who were trying to survive the country's Great Recession. In the spring of 2010, about 140 people and over a dozen cats and dogs called Tent City home. Then in May, the unthinkable happened and Nashville was victim of a massive flood. Tent City and large swaths of Nashville were completely engulfed. When the waters receded and the Red Cross shelter closed, city officials condemned Tent City and failed to provide adequate solutions for a majority of the displaced residents, many of whom would be sent to the streets only to be subsequently cited and arrested because we criminalize homelessness in a lot of places in our country. Now, they had promised the residents when the flood happened that they were going to stand beside them. And so they began organizing volunteers, collecting donations, and asking the city, churches, and landowners for land on which they could set up a temporary encampment. And from this, the work of Open Table Nashville was born. When people ask about the name Open Table Nashville, uh, the director and co-founder Ingrid McIntyre, who, by the way, went to seminary just next door and graduated just before I started, so we, like I know her, but we just barely missed being classmates, um, says, they ask if it's about a food thing, and I tell them we're all motivated by our faith, and that to us, an open table means a place where everyone is welcome. The table is never too full, and there's always an open seat. I guess we could have called it available chair, but that doesn't have the same ring. 
Co-founder Lindsay Krinks added, for us, an open table signifies fellowship, community, and radical inclusion. In other words, we're not just here to make sure our friends on the street get crumbs from the table. That's no more than charity. We're here to make sure our friends have a place at the table. And that is about justice. These are saints of the church. And I mentioned that my friend went there not to be like, oh my goodness, I know this person. But to say the people that are the saints are most often everyday folks like you and I. Ingrid went to seminary just three years before me. And while I think she is an incredible, gifted uh, pastor and teacher and leader of the people of God, um, she's nothing particularly special. And she certainly doesn't get the recognition for what she does. And I guarantee you she doesn't get the paycheck that she deserves for the work she does. But they do this because they believe in the mission of their organization. These are the saints of the church. These are the saints of the church today. And so as we remember the saints, we also remember how we are called to also be, be the saints. Imperfect, but striving to make the world a better place. Sinners who still fall short and make big mistakes, leaning on the grace of God when we do, and going back out and trying again. The saints aren't always known. In fact, most are not. But the work of the saints is not about fame or titles, but about living in and for the kingdom of God, and so that others might know it as well. We are those saints. You are those saints of the church today. Let this be our rallying cry to go forth. Amen.